Hello, I'm Marcelo, the Grumpy Geek, and this is Teka, my clumsy assistant. Together, we will share knowledge in a very different way. Do you know that idea? That is not yet clear in your mind? Well, it will soon shine. So, welcome aboard. You were right in the middle. Hey Taka, what is science? Well, let's see what Wikipedia tells. It states that science is a systematic enterprise that builds and organizes knowledge in the form of testable explanations and predictions about the universe. Yeah, I know, it's a typical geek answer. It raises more questions than it answers. Yeah, but let's focus on two parts for now testable explanations and predictions about the universe. Do you have any clue about why I choose those two particular terms? <laughs> right, that was tricky. Actually, it's quite interesting. The testable explanation is related to the fact that one piece of conflicting evidence is enough to disprove something, but infinite evidence is not enough to prove something. So scientists study to know how to test something and not why it happens. The why comes later, and it refers to the predictions about the universe part. <laughs> no, Taka, I'm not drunk yet. But I'm just wondering why we're lacking so many tests in our code. Essentially, our software cannot be right, and it's our responsibility to extensively try to prove that it is wrong. A bug. It's actually something wrong that we didn't test before, like the gravitational theory, <laughs> or you could say a prediction about the universe. <laughs> Let's cut to the chase. Newton could almost describe the movement of the planets until they tried with Mercury. There was a test that proved Newton's predictions was inaccurate, like a bug reproducer. <laughs> no, Tekka, do not take away my rum. Okay, maybe I'm drunk. But my point is, we should deal with our software like scientists deal with science. It's all about testing to prove it's wrong and not to prove it's right. That change of focus, uh, because I refuse to say mindset, makes us humble enough to accept the fact that we might be wrong. If we extensively fail to prove that we are wrong, we can say we are Probably right, but we cannot be sure. That's why I don't get the flat earthers. They always try to prove that round earthers are wrong, but they themselves cannot. That's an arrogant behavior. If we test our software like that, we'll be biased enough to not cover critical aspects, and depending on how our software will be used, the consequences can be a disaster. Yeah, I'm so tired of the flat earth development. Okay, okay, and no more run for me.
Go on, take it. Hey, at least drink it in a glass. Let's let's go downstairs for a while. project and the lead architect spent the whole night trying to create a mechanism to allow logging with certificates. It was a man who suffered from the not invented here disease, so even the Java collections were not good enough for him. He had to create his own collection framework. He was a man of vision and believed that every resource in a data center should be used. <laughs> At least that's what we thought because of the variety of infinite loops in the code and five seconds operation for computing the next number of a one by one sequence. Maybe he didn't trust the CPU. Oh, maybe he was a flat earther. Oops, uh, yeah, you're right, Zeka. About the certificate login. It turns out he built it himself and started to brag about it. When we checked the code, though, it was so weirdly done that we just manipulated the web page to add a button that would skip both certificate and credentials validation. <laughs> the button will generate a request affirming the certificate was valid and the system would bypass the credentials verification because <laughs> it will trust the request without checking if the certificate was indeed validated. It's like choosing your own score for a certification exam. <laughs> if the architect had tested this possibility, he would conclude his solution was wrong, but he could never admit he was wrong. The lesson here, Tekka, is never, never do validations only on the client side. They are just for preventing a bad request to waste server's resources. What happened with the login issue? <laughs> Good question, Tekka. To be honest, I can't remember. Hmm. But I think nothing changed that much, as other security parts were also broken. We discovered later that the system authorization was based on not displaying buttons on the page, so we just created some buttons and bypassed all the system security with another bad request. Remember, never trust things you can't control. And that includes anything that happens on the client side. Truth to be told, our users were too busy watching television or playing games instead of actually using our software to work. So. We thought there was nothing to be worried about, other than the taxes we're paying to support that alternative definition of paid entertainment. The thing is, sometimes users are badass and will do everything to crack down our software. Sometimes users will forget to do something and will crack down our software. And sometimes we will forget something and allow others to crack down our software. We should always defend ourselves from everyone even from ourselves. Oh crap! On September 20th, 2015, Amazon Web Services experienced a significant outage. Dozens of companies were affected and had their services down for a couple of hours. Well, except Netflix. Netflix adopts something that would cause a heart attack to my beloved architect. Failure as a rule. 
each failure domain has a dedicated simian to take care of causing chaos. A chaos Kong was assigned to region outage, a chaos gorilla to availability zone failures, and a chaos monkey had a license to kill servers. Wow. They formed the Netflix Simian Army and were responsible for making the AWS outage a walk in the park for Netflix. Netflix always assumes that they are wrong and that army tries to prove that extensively. By using that chaos loop, they could increase the system's reliability in such a way that not even AWS Blackout could disrupt their service. So, Tekka, repeat with me. I have to prove that I am wrong. <laughs> yeah, good. That's the key to be successful. On the opposite corner, the use of voting software for elections in Brazil creates the perfect contrast. In one of the public but high-controlled and supervised tests, a group of computer scientists led by Diogo Aranha found that two libraries were not signed to prove its authenticity and the system did nothing to prevent that mistake. So, they just pushed their own malicious libraries and broke the whole system. The tests were controlled in a very restricted environment and, even with that situation, the scientists could create chaos. <laughs> the real situation usually doesn't provide that level of monitoring and restriction. So, imagine what could be achieved with a single drop of RAM. To restrict the attack surface on a test is to neglect the fact that you can't be wrong. Again, we should never assume we are right, especially if we are dealing with the future of a nation. Ah, please, give me some rum, Tekka. It's so hard to talk about the future of nations without mentioning Apollo 11. You know, Tekka, they had some problems while landing, but basically one module was eating the CPU because it was reading data from the radar. But the information was inaccurate because, <laughs> well, the radar was off. So it retried again and again and again. The system didn't throw a flattened exception and Apollo 11 landed. How? A technique called fixed priority preemptive scheduling prevented the system from literally crashing. Oops, sorry, another geek answer. A fixed priority preemptive scheduling means that if your routine has more priority than another one in execution, yours will indeed receive CPU to work. That's what happened with Apollo's system. The radar routine couldn't block the CPU entirely because the landing routine, having a right priority, got the CPU it needed, and the outcome was a giant leap for mankind. MIT was responsible for developing the flight software for Apollo 11. One specific genius came out with not only that priority technique, but also dozens of other techniques that are still in use today. Margaret Hamilton. Tekka, that lady invented software engineering. She has been granted a NASA Exceptional Space Act Award in 2003 and in 2016 received the Presidential Medal of Freedom together with another brilliant lady, Grace Hopper. Well, it's hard to summarize Amazing Grace's work in terms of computer science, but 
I'll try to find a word for it. Hmm. Compiler. Yes, Teka. That lady created the first compiler. In 1952, the first lady of software had her compiler working, and in 1959, her work resulted in a generous portion of COBOL's specification. Do you see, Teka? There is no way to separate software development and science. So, why not embrace science and start thinking as a scientist? So, you gotta ask, would you rather be right or would you rather be successful?